Hey everyone, I'm Mike Holdsworthy. Yeah, and I'm Blake Ryan, and we want to welcome you to the Tomorrowland Church podcast. Uh, we created this podcast to explore innovative ways transformational leaders are leading and reimagining the church for tomorrow. With that said, let's start the show. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Tomorrowland Church Podcast. It is good to have you. And um, as we're recording this right now, of course, we are months and months and months into COVID quarantine and all that comes with it. And um, our kids are getting ready for school here in Southern California. Blake, what does what does the school year look like for your kids? Do you guys have a plan? The plan is education, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's better than what happened at the end of the school year last year. Yeah, for sure. No, you know, our kids uh, have, uh, the, you know, just the blessing of being able to go to a, a private Christian school locally Wonderful. here. Yeah. And, um, you know, last year, honestly, because they're a 21st century learning model um, and leverage technology so much, honestly, they were down for about three days and then they were back up. Um, and so they missed about three days of school. Um, and then everybody was on zoom calls and, and it was rolling pretty smoothly. So I was really impressed, um, by, by what they did there about three weeks ago, you know, we thought, um, that they were going to be exempt, um, and that the kids were going to be able to be together and learning together. Um, but then, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, some things came out, uh, where that's, uh, you know, that was prohibited, until they get some, they get some approvals through the county and the state. So it looks like uh, come September second, they're going to be back online again. Okay. Um, you know, and it's interesting because <clears throat> although on the 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 online learning affords them some flexibility they didn't have while they were in the classroom, seems like maybe their time online is a little shorter. Uh, you know, each one of them, uh, you know, I've got three. Each one of them was just really disappointed not to get back to school, and mm-hmm. I just think they're missing missing that connection, you know, with their, their friends, you know, uh, that community and, uh, just, just goes to show how important, you know, community is. No, that's really good. I've been, um, one of the things that I've been talking to some churches about is, uh, I, I said that the church got really good when COVID hit at figuring out how do we put content online and just really quick, like at all these churches of all shapes and sizes, like putting content online really quick. And church leaders wanted to keep putting out content online. But what I was hearing from people in the church is they're like, we want to connect. Yeah. We're looking for community. Yeah. And um, and churches that are figuring out how to navigate sort of this next season have been listening to their people and figuring out how do we, like, we don't necessarily neglect the content that we're putting out online, but how do we find new and different and innovative ways to create and foster community in ways that will work in our in our given realities? And, yeah, I know it's yeah. super important. Yeah, I totally get it. I mean, we, we go to a church here in Corona, um, but, you know, we don't own our own space. So we we rent from the city and and uh, that's been down for a while now. And I don't know that it's going to be open back up any anytime soon. And so, you know, as soon as we were allowed to um, meet in person outside, that's what we did. And so we ended up meeting in the backyard of one of our members, you know, okay. they had a massive backyard and, and just trying to make do because, and, and I, we were shocked, you know, it's, it's a smaller church, about 250. And I think other churches that we had heard, you know, they were going to get about 25% attendance, you know, for their outside services. Um, and 
we were just blown away. You know, we were, we were having 40, 50% of our people showing up and that just showed us the importance of of community. It's just been amazing. For sure. I think people are hungering for that. And even, um, yeah, we could probably talk for a long time about that, but I think one of the things that we will see come out of this is, is schools are having to innovate right now. That's right. Right. And churches are having to innovate right now. And there will be some new normal a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. But the innovation that will happen during this period of time will end up being some things that will be carried into that new normal. That will be new ways that churches will engage, new ways that schools will engage. And and I think the, the attuned leader is trying to pay attention to those things, learn from those things and figure out what's the best of those things in order to accomplish the mission and strategy that I'm called to. Yeah, I think, you know, the old saying is what, you know, necessity is the mother of invention or right. innovation for that, that, that matter. And, and I think it's good. You know, I think, you know, um, you know, God has his purposes in all of this. Um, and I know there are some, some terrible things happening, but I also understand that there are some blessings that are happening at the same time. And I think churches, you know, innovating is always a blessing. I think it's always the right thing. Um, because we can, like you said, we can get stuck, you know what I mean? And so how do we get unstuck? And it's things like this that can, that can prompt us to do that. That's good. Well, and that's some of what we're trying to do here with the Tomorrowland Church podcast is we want to help think about how do we think about the future? How do we be a church that is, and leaders that are attuning ourselves to, to operate in a way where we're not just reacting to the moment but that we're, that we're thinking beyond the moment. And so in today's interview, I'm really excited. We get to spend some time with Nancy Beach. Nancy is somebody who um, I got to know as someone who's really pushing the arts forward in the evangelical church 20, 30 years ago. And she's really like introduced that at large in the church. It was a trailblazer there as well as for, she was one of the um, uh, women who is leading in a significant way at a large church early on. And so in some ways has been a trailblazer for that, for, for churches as well. And so I'm really excited for us to get to hear from Nancy today. Yeah. And you know what, Mike, I, I don't know Nancy, you know, I didn't know Nancy prior to the podcast. Um, I just know that she was a well-respected leader and uh, based on, you know, our, our time together, um, I can see why. That's great. All right. Stay tuned here for our time with Nancy. Well, everyone, we are excited to welcome you back to the Tomorrowland Church podcast, and we're really excited for who we have joining us today. Nancy Beach is with us, and um, Nancy Nancy helped to get Willow Creek Church started in a lot of ways. She served for decades there as a programming director. She was um, a teaching pastor there, was really um, significant in helping to to shape um, the arts of that church and so much of what came out of that. In fact, her first book uh, was called An Hour on Sunday, and it was all about the the arts in the church and how to effectively have arts ministry in the church. And now Nancy is no longer leading full-time in a vocational role at a local church, but she is doing other things where she's connecting with and caring for and coaching leaders and really, I think even probably some of that connects with your second book, Nancy, uh, called Gifted to Lead, where you're talking about the art of 
leading as a woman in the church. And so um, we're excited to get to just learn from you a bit and to get to hear your thoughts as somebody who's been in the trenches of a local church and then for a long time and helped shape so much of of the church in America in some ways. And at the same time, you are now sort of stepped out of that and you're a step removed where you're able to have sort of a different vantage point. So we're really excited to get to learn from you. Thanks. Thanks for being with us today, Nancy. Thanks. It's good to be with both of you. So, um, so I just first would love for you to share with us a little bit about what you're doing. You have been off of staff of a local church now for a little while. And what has the last several years looked like in terms of how you're leading? Well, uh, my husband and I still live in the Chicago suburbs. And in terms of church, we're a part of Soul City Church, which is in downtown Chicago, kind of in the West Loop of Chicago. And I teach there occasionally and also uh, mentor some of their young leaders. But most of, most of the time, we're just there supporting and cheering them on. Um, professionally, I work with the Slingshot Group and I coach uh, church leaders. And it's a wide variety, um, both men and women. Uh, I also still have a real passion for people who lead in the area of arts and the worship. So some of it, my coaching is along those lines, but also um, for churches going through succession. I've been working with some churches that are trying to figure out how to do that in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, And I work with lots of people who seem to be in transition, um, maybe partly because I've been in transition myself um, starting about 10 years ago. And uh, have a real heart for people who are wondering what's next. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love that. And I think that fits into a lot of what we want to talk about is thinking about what's next. And um, maybe the first thing that I want to ask you is because you were in some ways really influential in 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 the arts of the church in North America um, and beyond that, really, like you were speaking at conferences all over the world and um, the influence of what you're doing went through churches around the world. And I, I think I introduced you to our church because I had you come speak at at the church that I was leading for a while. And I think I introduced you as uh, I said, if you went to a church where there were skits in the worship service and you loved it, you can thank Nancy for that. And if you grew up in a church where there were skits in the worship service and you hated it, you can blame Nancy for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you <laughs> brought that and And of course, like it's tongue in cheek because because um, when it's done well, it's it's really good. And a lot of churches took the idea and and just didn't do it well. But all that to say, you were at the forefront of evangelical churches that were using technology in the arts. And also at the same time, you were at the forefront of churches that were using business practices and kind of bringing that into the church world. And that's all become incredibly commonplace now. It was very forefront and very, um, uh, uh, very new when you were bringing it in. And so as that's become commonplace, what are some of the things that you're personally seeing as you're engaging with sort of the larger church landscape as to how are churches using that now or how are churches even like, I don't know if you're experiencing this, but it seems that some churches are starting to reject some of those things as well. What's been your experience of that? Well, first, uh, I will tell you what my father used to call skits, when he would say that, I would shoot him. So um, (laughs) I'm not allowed to use that word. I appreciate that. Um, What's a better word? uh, Sketches or drama would be okay. Yes. Yeah, that would be okay. okay. Um, And actually, uh, drama was only one of many art forms, but what we wanted to do was unleash a wider uh, toolbox of the arts, if you will. I think um, almost all churches through the centuries have had music 
um, but it's been pretty limited that way. And I think that people have uh, different pathways to God. And, and it's interesting to me that the people who plan most of our worship gatherings are musicians. So of, sort, of course, they love music, and that is their primary pathway to God. Um, but we've got people who are more visual, people mm-hmm. who uh, respond better to story in any form, whether that's a testimony or a sketch or a spoken word or something, but they love words and story. Um, and so I, I find that uh, what's actually happened, I think, in recent years is a reaction to what some have perceived as being overproduced. Okay, so the younger generation, and I'm generalizing here, but I think sure. some who have reacted to what they think is overproduced and kind of um, swung the pendulum away from a variety of the arts, really back to mostly music and video is, is what we see in, in most of our churches. I personally, I find it fascinating right now, of course, with the pandemic, that even churches that did not embrace technology all of a sudden kind of like had to. Um, to to be online. There's a church I work with that never had anything online before. And all of a sudden they were faced with what do we do now? And, you know, had to start from scratch. Um, So it's a whole new day in in terms of that. But even pre-pandemic, I have been concerned that this reaction to uh, overproduction or overproduced um, has, has been interpreted, I, I think, um, there's a, there's a sense that you can't be authentic if you are excellent. Hmm. And I don't think those two values have to compete. Hmm. I actually think they can coexist, um, especially if you define excellence, not as perfectionism, um, but as doing the best you can with what you have. And I associate excellence with beauty and anything that's beautiful has to be prepared. There, there's an intentionality to it. So I personally don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, I think it's actually very good to plan and prepare and rehearse. That doesn't mean that everything has to feel like you push a button and it all happens automated, you know, and there's no heart in it and there's no right. room for spontaneity. I think there can be spontaneity even in those things that are prepared. Um, but my concern as I look at churches these days is um, many of the art forms have been abandoned in recent years. And uh, I find that really sad um, hmm. I, for the sake of the people in the seats, as well as for the artists who many of whom had found a way to contribute and now maybe feel like they're not as wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. It's a really good clarification because I think the confusion on perfection versus excellence has probably sent some people in an interesting direction, as as you've yes. mentioned, and it's so it's really helpful uh, that that you clarified it. I mean, if you think back to the to the earlier church, you know, the church did have an incredible influence in in some of the arts. You know, you'd see the stained glass, you'd see some of the incredible murals being painted on the ceilings of you know yes. um, some amazing chapels and things like that. And, and over time we've lost our way a little bit in that where we've really as a culture, as a church has followed kind of the culture, right. Mm-hmm. Versus led the culture. And it sounds like uh, you had an opportunity to, to lead in that culture, but it sounds like you're, you're finding that we're, we're losing that again. Yeah. Would that be fair? 
Yes. And, you know, the church actually used to be the source of all the best art, you know, and yeah. we've come a very long way from that. And when it comes to technology, and I think we're seeing this today with the online uh, services, um, I like to think of it simply as a tool. I mean, it, it is a tool. And if it's done well, it gets out of the way and lets the content be communicated effectively. And we all notice when it's not done well. And, uh, you know, my daughter, uh, older daughter attends a church that is filled with people who have had this reaction to things being overproduced. And as a result, um, they have no technical equipment to speak of. Um, they <laughs> asked her to do a spoken word piece one weekend and, um, they didn't have a microphone that she could use. And so they tried to finagle something together and she started and there was so much feedback nobody could hear you know mm. what she had to say and eventually the pastor had to take the one wireless mic that they have off of his body put it on hers and start over <laughs> and, amazing. and I think some of the people in the seats probably thought yay we're so authentic we're so in the moment and I'm thinking really, you know, I think we can do better. And sure. I think it would have been way better if she could have been heard well, you know, from the beginning. So that's the kind of pendulum swinging that I'm seeing. Yeah. And that's, and that brings up a good point. I think, you know, some people are so consumed with what's happening at the moment that they don't really take time to gain some perspective on, on what's happening around them. And so just as a leader, um, as a trusted and respected leader, what are some of the, the rhythms and disciplines that you've implemented in your own life to, to help think about the future or to get perspective? Yeah, you know, I think this is increasingly difficult for most of us. And I am wired to be more of an activist than a contemplative kind of person. Um, I also think our technology, and I'm not anti-devices, believe me, but I think that, that this invaded our quiet space, you know, mm. so, so we're like always reachable on our phones, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so for me, one of the practices that I've been trying to experiment with and get better at, and I know it's not a, you know, achievement thing, but I turn it into that half the time. I'm trying <laughs> to learn how to meditate. And mm. I'm telling you, 10 minutes is like my, my go-to uh, amount. After that, I, I really get distracted. Um, but I try to be still and quiet. I also find that I connect with God best in creation. Uh, living in Chicago, that makes it hard sometimes in the, during the year. But um, to get outside and take a walk and really still myself um, is probably one of the best things um, that I can possibly do. And then I read a lot. And I try to read widely. Um, when I was on staff at a church, I read way too many leadership books, honestly. I OD'd on leadership books, and honestly, these days I hardly read any. Um, I prefer fiction, hmm. maybe um, occasional poetry, and then I love biographies. Um, I've read some really good historical fiction lately and biographies as well, and, and those stir me up in some way. And also when you read other people who write really well, um, it, it raises the bar for me of, of excellent communication. And, and mm. I, then I write something and I think, oh, that's so bad. But um, <laughs> it's, it's really good for me to be uh, surrounded by beauty and by um, thoughtfulness. And I think if we can make some space for that, some of the best work and best ideas comes out of people hanging out with not so much to do and not being so bombarded with information. And we need to create space for the life of the mind and for our creative energies. Amen. Love that. 
No, that's really good. And um, I think that you and I read a recent historical book that was the same book. Um, did you read Eric Larson's The Splendid and the Vile? Oh, my gosh, yes. Loved it. So, I love so everything it's about, he writes. Yes. Yeah, he's fantastic. If you haven't read Larson, he's great. And, um, and Splendid and the Vile is about the bombing of London during World War II, which I knew very little about before mm-hmm. reading that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, Nancy, when you read a book like that, um, how, what are you doing? Do you have any like intentional practices or anything that you do with any of the content ideas, something that gets mm. spurred on out of that? Do you have like a little notebook that you write things down in? Do you, is there, or does it just kind of like sit oh, with how you? I wish that I could say, yes, I, <laughs> I have a elaborate filing system and I no, I, I know people who do that. I know communicators sure. who do that. And I've always thought that, that would be great. And I just don't, do it. I, I do believe, though, um, that all of us, as we explore, and, and I am a firm believer that all truth is God's truth. So even if we're exploring someone who doesn't come from a faith perspective, when we learn things, and uh, also when we uncover beauty, um, it gets stored away somewhere, I believe. And it doesn't mean that I'll have instant recall and, and be able to reach back and find those facts necessarily. But there's an impression that it leaves with you. And there's there's something to that story that will always be a part of the fabric of who I am. And then when yeah. I, you know, approach something maybe five years from now, there's some way in which that might influence me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if people are um, wired in such a way that they have an organized way to process that content, more, you know, more power to them. I, I wish that I was <laughs> more that way. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm probably a little more like you. I vacillate back and forth between like, I'll be really good and I'll take pictures of pages at mm-hmm. times where something stands out and I've got a catalog system I'll use for that. And then I'll just kind of get over it. And in some sort of way, it's almost like um, my hope is that by osmosis, these things have planted little seeds inside yeah. of me yeah. that will sort of like germinate into some other things at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I'm constantly like making space for that input. Yes. Um, so I'm curious as somebody who had served in the trenches of a local church for a long time and now is still very connected in local church. You're very connected at your church at soul city church. You're very connected with church leaders around the country and, um, and investing in them as you think about the church in, in its current state and kind of the church moving forward. Is there anything that kind of like stirs in you that you're like, ah, I would love to see the church with just, even if it's just like church at large, I'd love to see the church kind of like moving into like this kind of a space, doing these mm-hmm. kinds of things. Well, first of all, I, in general, and I am an optimist, but I do have a lot of hope for the church. So the things that I'm about to say are, are things where I could long for some improvement, but I do mm-hmm. have, I, I, I'm a firm believer that this is the bride of Christ we're talking about. And how can we make the bride more beautiful, you know, is, is kind of how I look at it. And I really think the local church is God's plan A for reconciling the world to himself. And we mess it up much of the time. And I think many of us have been through church pain and church messes. And um, you start to wonder, God, what was plan B? Because we have so screwed this up. But um, I do believe it continues to be his primary way of bringing people into his family and, and helping us uh, navigate life, you know, by loving one another and being in the, these little communities of faith. 
Um, as I look at the landscape these days, uh, one of my concerns has to do with this soulful question of, you know, with social media and with um, the relentless amount of information coming at us, I am concerned about the taking care of all of our souls and our inner life and all of that. And I'm not the only one who talks about that. So many experts, you know, talk about that, but I really do have a deep concern for it. And this pressure that I think young leaders feel that I'm frankly glad didn't even exist when I was in the thick of church leadership for constantly communicating and being on, you know, social media and making sure everybody knows everything that you're doing and all of that. And, and, uh, I would find that really difficult in terms of taking care of my soul at the, at the same time. I celebrate when I hear people taking a fast, you know, from that and, and mm -hmm. social media for a time. Another concern I have, and this is another area where the church has swung some pendulums, I believe, um, in recent years in light of the Me Too and Church Too movement and, you know, much publicized individuals who've gotten in trouble uh, in these areas, I feel like the pendulum swing can often be towards saying, okay, that's what happens when men and women work alongside each other. Um, there's going to be some kind of temptation and sexual problem or whatever. So therefore, um, we want to go the other direction in terms of including women at the senior leadership tables and, you know, learning how to work well together. And I think that's an enormous mistake and a big loss for the church. Um, I understand it. I get it. It comes out of fear. And so our reaction to wanting to make sure there's never any, you know, sin in our church, um, is to come up with a bunch of rules, you know, and to say, if we have more rules, then certainly we can keep right. this from happening. Um, and so I talk to a lot of women leaders these days who are incredibly gifted individuals, um, great leaders, good communicators, all of that who are finding it um, difficult to flourish in the settings where they are. And I know some of that is theology and some of it, you know, churches have to figure out where they land theologically on that question. But a lot of it is more culture and sort of uh, what we're comfortable with. And my concern is that we're going to lose a lot of these women, particularly younger women who might come to the conclusion, you know, God has gifted me. And I'm probably not going to be able to fully express those gifts in the local church. So I'll still go to church and I'll help out and volunteer, but I'm going to use those gifts in the marketplace or in the academic world or somewhere else because they're really not going to be valued in the local church. And that would be a loss for the church and also for them, I think, because it, it when it works well, and I tasted it on my own team, when hmm. men and women work side by side with mutual respect and dignity and joy and treat each other the way the apostle Paul, when he called people, his sister and his brother, there is a weight to those words, particularly back yeah. in, in the first century. It's like the highest thing you could call somebody is your sister or your brother. And when we treat each other that way, um, then it's like unthinkable that we would ever mess with their marriage or, you know, in, in any way violate something because we so treasure the friendship, the spiritual friendship that we have and the joy of working together. So I, I hope I don't sound naive. I know temptation exists and all of that. Um, but I, what I see is this um, additional rules that are quenching 
the life right out of men and women working well together. Mm-hmm. And see, on that note, like um, when when you when you're engaging with those women and coaching those women, what are what are some of the 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 top two things, two or three things that come to mind, and just trying to help them navigate, you know, um, those the, those waters, so to speak. Well, one of the things is to uh, encourage them to initiate some dialogues with their teams, with the pastors or elders or whoever they need to, to first understand um, what is the point of view here on this, at at this particular local church. Um, Maybe there's a stated theological position, maybe there's not, um, but there needs to be clarity to understand, um, first of all, what, where that is. And then secondly, um, what kind of culture are we trying to create? And I think it's important for male leaders to ask questions of the women on their team about what it's like for them to, to be in that culture and whether they feel like they have opportunities to flourish and whether they feel like there's inappropriate joking or sarcasm or, or anything that's making them uncomfortable. And I encourage male leaders to ask some of those questions and then just shut up and listen, you know, don't get defensive. Don't um, just listen and see, because chances are pretty good that uh, you might hear some things that you, that will surprise you. And uh, giving women the opportunity to express what that's been like. And I really, I really believe that women need to um, also not be their own worst enemy um, sometimes, like Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, she talks about how we sabotage some of our own opportunities with uh, the limits we put on ourselves. I know I did this for years, like the voices in my head that said, I'm not enough, or I, I can't do this. And uh, so sometimes it has nothing to do with the males, but because some women don't even have in their imagination, they've never seen a woman in a certain role that they aspire to, they can't even picture it. And to believe that it's possible and to stop. Um, also, women, I encourage them to stop being each other's enemy. Mm. Uh, sadly, you would think that we would jump in and be each other's advocate. And in too many places, uh, I think women are competitive with each other. We get small with each other and we don't celebrate the remarkable gifts of another woman leader. And realize there's room for all, there's a need and room for all of us, you know, so it's a lot of growth to to be had there. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, um, a little bit off topic from there, you know, one of the things that uh, seems to be a challenge for churches is this idea of succession planning Mm -hmm. when it comes to the leadership levels and just wanted to get your thoughts. You you know what I mean? What you're seeing a little bit in the marketplace, so to speak, um, and uh, what what you would tell people uh, in terms of uh, maybe how they might approach it or, you know, at least to start thinking about it. (laughs) Well, I think our theme song should be taken from Hamilton where it says we got to teach them how to say goodbye. Because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I really understand more and more, and maybe it's because of my age and my own transition, um, there needs to be some empathy, especially for a founding pastor or a pastor who's been somewhere a long time, even if they didn't found the church. Um, this is a big deal. Um, and what I learned is that for many people in leadership, our identity is more wrapped up in that role than we know until we start to think about making a change. And 
uh, I mean, I used to teach people in workshops all the time back when I was leading at a church. I would say, you know what? Your identity should not be your job. It shouldn't be um, any role that you play. And then I was in transition and I was like, oh, wow. I had no idea how attached I was to that. And I've been working on, and I think it'll be for me a lifelong uh, quest, but uh, I'm working on regrounding my identity where it belongs, which is to say, who am I? I am a treasured daughter of the Most High God. That is who I am. It's not about roles that I play. Um, But this is really tough. So the senior pastors that I've walked with um, are really stunned by how hard it is. You know, I think, I think that's the first, first thing. Um, secondly, and you know, many people have written books about this and all of that, but, but the, the lack of planning and intentionality about this in a lot of places, why are we so surprised when this happens? You know, um, a pastor might be getting older and it might be, uh, he might be, he or she might be losing some energy, in in leadership or whatever. And long before that happens, we need to be saying, hey, let's not be so afraid of this. Let's talk about, do we have a plan and what would it look like? And do we need help from the outside? Um, and how can we walk, not just with the departing pastor, but how can we decide, first of all, is there an in-house candidate that would be a great choice? And if not, do we need help trying to find our next leader? And what would that look like? And then how can we pass the baton in a really healthy, God-honoring way? And I've seen it in a couple places. Sadly, I've seen it done wrong in, mm-hmm. in too many uh, of our churches. No, that's, yeah. that's super helpful. Yeah, it's really helpful. I mean, in thinking about like the future of um, individual local churches, um, it's something that really has to be taken into account, especially we're in a season where there is an incredible amount of baby boomers yes. who have been leading churches for a long time. And we're having trouble letting go. Yeah. Um, Very what would you say to like, if, if there's a baby boomer pastor who's listening to this right now and he or she's been leading their church for 20, 30 years and they love their church and they feel like I've got another 20 year run left in me or whatever, like, what would you what would you say to somebody who's kind of in that space, having a little bit of problems letting go, um, but wants to like cares about the future of their church or their organization? Yeah, you know, I don't think there's one age cut off or anything like that. I don't want to mm-hmm. make it sound like there's one plan for everybody. I think it's a discernment process, not only with that pastor, but people close to that pastor to say, OK, is is it getting time to be thinking about this? Is the energy waning at all? Not only that, making room for the next generation. I mean, if, if the baby boomers, if we don't get out of the way, um, there's not going to be the opportunity for the, that next generation to rise up and do what, what they're called to do. However, I think um, to consider for a pastor who's been very active and who's been you know, teaching and, and leading for a long time, to not have a plan for what's next other than, you know, the golf course or something is a huge mistake. And the, the succession plans that I've seen work really well is when the pastor starts to imagine what could my next season look like? Hmm. Um, yeah. What, you know, one pastor I know, for example, who did this really, really well, a pastor from Ohio, um, their church had a ministry um, I believe it was in Russia and he had been involved with it for a long time. You know, he'd gone almost every year to with some other people, but he had a real passion for that. And he was able to 
take a step um, out of the church and and invest himself more regularly in that ministry. And it gave him great excitement to think about having room to be able to do that. Um, but you've got to have some kind of uh, plan that fits with the giftedness that you have and the passions that you have. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah. So there's something really significant about in preparing for the future. It's, it is about creating space for younger leaders to step in and to have some room to lead, but it's also about the more seasoned leaders. Those of us who have had some years there leading to have something that we're moving into that allows us to create space for people to create a new future yeah. that we wouldn't have been able to create had we not, had we not moved into some other sort of space. Yeah. And, you know, I, when I was in transition, I read a lot of the experts on transition, which was so helpful because I found out what I was experiencing was quite normal. And it's a very wobbly uh, time of this letting go process. It's like you grab it again. And, and that's why some pastors set a date and then like, never mind, I want to go another year, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, or they, they, still want to be, have an office down the hall and be like the chairman of the board or something. And, and, uh, I'm not saying that could never work, but you know, they just have a hard time actually really letting go. And so if you can surround them with some people who love them and who know them well, it's almost like a project to say, let us help you figure out what your next season is or a life coach, give the gift to your departing pastor of one of those life coach things, you know, where they go away for a couple of days and they dream a little bit. Um, what a huge gift that would be to someone. It doesn't always come up with the answer, but it helps you discern what am I considering? What am I looking for? And yeah. that would be just huge for people who are scared to take that leap. Yeah. I love your, your idea of life coaching that, that came to mind because they really do start to help you develop a new preferred future. Yes. Right. And a vision that that's hard to see when you're in the midst. I did uh, one in my transition and um, my husband came with me. Um, it was about me, but he was listening in. And then uh, there's these flip charts all over the wall about you for like two days. And by the second day, I felt like such a narcissist. I said, can we talk about somebody else? This is really uncomfortable. Um, but the guy said, no, you're paying good money to sit here and talk about you. So let us focus. And, it, and in my case, I didn't come out with the answer. Some people do. I didn't yeah. come out with the answer. But I have a grid and you know some criteria for what I think is important for me going forward. And that was very helpful. Oh, that's good. Did you, did you use the Patterson process by chance? Yeah. Or did you? Yeah. I went yeah. to Boulder, Colorado. Yep. Up very in good. a little garage. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, and it's helpful even during, like you said, even just during transitions to help you think through yeah. some of those transitions, whether it's someone retiring or just a, a major transition that you're going through in life. No, that's yeah. great. A great book on transition. There's many. Um, the secular expert is William Bridges, and mm-hmm. he's written books called Transitions and the Way of Transition. Another one from a pastor in Grand Rapids, uh, Jeff Mannion, wrote a book called The Land Between, which is Mm. so good. And it's about the children of Israel between uh, Egypt and the Promised Land. You know, what was that, like 40 years of transition? (laughs) So what are the lessons that can only be learned uh, in The Land Between? Recommend that book, too. That's great. Really good. Thanks, Nancy. Well, Nancy, um, there's a couple of things that I'm going to leave our time with. I, I think about... Um, you're talking about the idea of there being a false dichotomy between um, authenticity and excellence. And 
um, the church moving forward, needing to be able to capture both of those and recognize that excellence is not fighting um, authenticity. Um, uh, I also, I wrote down, uh, you said, surround yourself with beauty and thoughtfulness. And I thought like, that's something that I, I really want to pursue. And then also the idea of like figuring out as a church moves into the future ways for men and women to partner together in really healthy ways and to not overreact against that. And there's this really beautiful possibility in the church when that, when that can work well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Thanks so much for your time today. We really, we really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It was a joy to be with you guys. Well, Blake, I always enjoy my time with Nancy, and that was no different. She is um, kind and thoughtful and um, and just brings a whole lot of wisdom and experience to conversations. Absolutely. And one of the things that I, I really appreciated about her was talking about the, the idea for the church to move forward. It's going to require men and women partnering together. And, and she's got space for like, that's going to look different in different situations because people are bringing different theologies to the table and have different, different things coming with that. But, but trying to figure out like, how do men and women partner together, bringing uh, the fullness of who they are to the table in order to help create what the future of the church is? No, that's, uh, that's a great point. And it's something, you know, that, that, that uh, has existed outside the church for a long time, you, you know what I mean? Um, and seeing incredibly successful women um, le- be leaders in organizations or lead organizations. And, you know, that's something that we're always trying to figure out at Plain Joe Studios, you know, is is how do we make sure, you know, um, that we are incorporating uh, the best people, um, but those people who, who he might see things just a little bit differently. Um, and have different backgrounds and perspectives and, and, and views on things. And uh, so, yeah, this is a big topic for us as we're trying to, to grow, um, you know, leaders, men and women uh, within our own organization. Yeah. Um, what did you think about? She talked about being invested in leadership succession and like um, you and I, like we're in our 40s. But there's this weird, like, sort of transition that we're going through where we used to be the young guys trying to get into leadership. And now, like, we're kind of transitioning to becoming some of the older guys in some ways. No, that's a good point. I, I think, you know, I think it's a, an issue of stewardship in some ways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it when it comes to the church. You know, the church isn't ours at the end of the day. It's God's. You know, and I know that God has called um, men and women to lead those churches. But the reality is the church should outlast any one of us, you know? Um, and, and I think it's incredibly important as we think of, you know, the church of tomorrow that we are starting to identify and grow people who are eventually going to replace us. And, uh, you know, and I think as part of our planning, as part of our strategy, succession always needs to be a priority on that list because, you know, we never know. I think sometimes we forget that tomorrow is a gift. I think we sometimes ex- expect and assume it, but sometimes tomorrow doesn't come for certain people. And I know where people have had succession plans, you know, they've been uh, successful um, in that transition. And those who didn't, I think, have seen where the church has, um, you know, has endured some hardship through that, where you have a push and pull of power. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, our, our, our goal is really to shepherd people 
Um, and it's hard when you see two shepherds <laughs> struggling, one to struggle to, 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 to give it up. Um, and the other to, to struggling to, to try to fulfill the role that God has called them to do. And so, man, I, I just, for any church listening, uh, you know, to me, this is, this is kind of like top three stuff, uh, when it yeah. comes to strategy, um, because, you know, when we're in our forties or fifties or sixties, I think, you know, we still think we're young and I think it by in spirit, you know what I mean? We, yeah. we are young. Um, but you know, the, the, the younger generations, um, you know, I, I don't know that they're just as connected as we grow older as someone, um, either from that generation or maybe just the generation right in front of them. And so I think trying to make sure that we're being that steward to hand off you know, this legacy to somebody else uh, just needs to be a critical component of, of what we're thinking about. No, that's so good. I, when I took over my church, I took over through a succession plan at 29 years old. And I had somebody wisely tell me, you need to start planning your succession the day that you take over. Exactly. And it's really hard to think of that as a 29 year old. And I tried to be intentional about that and did not, I did not know how long my, my run would last there. And it lasted until I was in my, until uh, I was 40. Yeah. And at 40, we implemented a succession plan to, to pass it on to, I knew that there needed to be a new and different voice. Yeah. And so like, it's not necessarily uh, something you think about when you get to a quote unquote retirement age, that it's like, you're constantly thinking about who are the, what are the ways that we create systems to create room for new, fresh voices to have, to have room to help the church move forward. Absolutely. And I, and I love what Nancy said about life coaching, you know, and it might mm -hmm. not be for everybody, but it's, it's, you know, it's investing in somebody outside of yourself to help think about what your future looks like. And it doesn't mean that it needs to be absent of ministry. You know, it, it could be absolutely focused on ministry and how, you know, you can take your, your, your experience and help those who now are leading, you know, the, the next generation. Uh, but I just thought that was a lot of wise counsel there to, to invest in somebody outside of yourself to really think about what that next uh, chapter of your life looks like. That's really good. I love it. I love it. Well, friends, thanks for joining us again on the Tomorrowland Church podcast for our fifth episode. Uh, Tomorrowland Church is produced by Caleb M. Henry. Uh, you can connect with Caleb at caleb.m.henry97 at gmail.com. Our music is created and produced by Scott Moore, who's at 1-O-N-E-M-O-O-R-E-Scott at gmail.com. You can talk to Blake at blake at plainjoestudios.com, or you can send me some nasty emails at mikeg at plainjoestudios.com. Yeah, all complaints go to you, Mike. All complaints. If you like the podcast, write mikeg at plainjoestudios.com. <laughs> For Blake and Mike, thanks for listening to us again. We'll see you next time at the Tomorrowland Church Podcast.